You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he ain't got no time for your jibber-jabber. It's Mr. Jeff McLaughlin. <laughs> I pity the fool who references Mr. T like that. How's it going, man? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, so, uh, as we've been m- lamenting over the past couple of weeks... That I've you know kind of been you know in, in a doldrums, not in the greatest of moods, yes. and something happened this week that completely just like snapped me out of it. It was awesome. One of my friends had, had posted a picture of a washer and dryer mm-hmm. that she was looking to unload and sell, but she right. forgot to put a caption on it. So it's just this like random picture of a washer and dryer in her driveway. You know? <laughs> okay. We don't do politics over here. True. So I won't even mention the, the joke that the person said, but somebody could not resist and left a political joke. Uh. And it wasn't funny. And it had little to nothing to do with, you know, the picture in question. Right. But this guy just couldn't resist himself. And that instantly snapped me out of my bad mood because this guy's reflex is to you know, complain about politics. Right. Where normally my reflex is I'm looking I'm looking for the good. I'm looking for the joke. I'm looking, you know, right. this sucks, but what's good about it, you know? Right. What's the funny thing? Yeah. And I was like, my God, I'm Bill with one L and I'm gonna make something, you know, good out of this somehow. Mm-hmm. And this guy is incapable of it. So that that improved my mood. Well that's great. My mood has but, uh, has been still in the doldrums, although the weather's warming up considerably. Mm-hmm. I think we've jumped 65 degrees in two days, <laughs> which I'm sure will not lead to like a catastrophic bout of influenza or anything for me. Coming out of what is a really long couple of months of hard, hard work at work. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm shagged out. I have a vacation coming in another week. And uh, I, I feel like uh, you've seen, there are videos of people who run ultra marathons and like, they're just in the very last four or five meters before the finish line. Like they lose their momentum and bump into somebody and fall over and they can be on the ground and they can't get over the finish line. I, yeah. feel, I feel like one of those people and I'm hoping somebody will come along and just kick me over the finish line for that last week so I can have a week <laughs> off to relax and kind of get, get comfortable. You going anywhere or are you just staying home? I have not decided yet. I am terrible for that. Like originally I thought, you know, I'll go back to Arundel and go back to where I went to school. And then I thought... What if I get there and nobody's there that remembers me? That's going to be really weird. Mm. And I said, well, maybe I'll go to France. Well, France right now is currently on fire and everyone is fighting. So probably not <laughs> a great place to go at the moment. And I don't speak any enough languages uh, other than mostly English to go anywhere really and be understood. So I'll probably stay around here, but I may do a bunch of museum trips over the course of that week, depending on the weather's like and 
you know, how I feel about ditching the house for a few days and going out and like going to Western Mass to the Museum of Modern Art in North Adams. I was about to say, you know, there's plenty of states in the this country that speak English. You don't have to go to Europe. Yeah, you know? yeah, I know, I know. But it's one of those like if you if I want to change a scenery, like I want to change a scenery. Right. You know. At any rate, uh, you know, I'm I'm okay. Not short of that, I'm no. just I'm just a little shagged out. I did finish a, a writing project last weekend. I finished a book that I calculated I've been working on for over eight years. I finished writing the first draft of this novel. I'm, it's good. It's it's good enough that I'm going to try and shop it around to actual publishers this time. So wow. we'll see what happens. Excellent. Yep. So let's uh, let's take advantage of this good mood. Let's strike while the yes. iron is hot, and let's uh, let's make a show. Let's have a podcast, young Jeff. All but right. Before we get on with the podcast in question, I do have my very popular and always well received trivia question. Hey, Jeff, a true or false trivia question? Oh. So you get right out of the box. You have I got a 50-50. Yep, right out of the box. You get a, a 50-50 chance of getting it right. And the kind of question it is, you, you know the answer. So, All right. True or false, Jeff? There are no American flags flying in Walt Disney World. All right, well, I'll tell you when we get to the end, we can wave flags at each other then. But this is the week beginning, May the 15th, and it is your turn to start. All right. May 15th, 1989, Maxwell House Coffee runs ads during a movie about the case of Roe versus Wade and what would become the establishment of Roe versus Wade as, as legalizing abortion in the United States. Uh, mm-hmm. And they run those ads despite a humongous number of very high publicized boycotts that were brought up by, at the time, the sort of the religious right or the silent majority, however, whichever euphemism you use for the group that was protesting Maxwell House Coffee would be advertising during the show. And and while that's not that, I don't remember the film. I'm not even sure what's, what network it was on. I think it was CBS. And I remember watching it, but I don't remember anything else about it. This is news to me. I've never heard uh, any of this. And I have bought Maxwell House Coffee, you know, fairly recently. Right. So I'm going to, you know, announce to the world that they're still in business. I don't think the boycott really hurt them all that much. Uh, it generally doesn't. I, I think. Well, hold on. I have another question. Okay. So, you know, this uh, gong banging that went on about boycotting Maxwell House because they were advertising during the ad breaks of a made-for-TV movie about the Roe versus Wade trial. Yes. Were there no other advertisers? Like, did they boycott everybody or just they just coffee? I don't remember if there were other advertisers, to be honest with you. It may be the rare, really weird, rare event where there was a single sponsor, like going back 1950s oh, style right, yeah. to this. Brought this to thing. you by Maxwell right. House. Yeah, right. I, it's good really to the last anymore, drop. Right. Yeah. I think that as a, as a, irrespective of where you stand politically, if you're going to boycott something and encourage people to boycott something, we do not have the attention span as a people to maintain any sort of boycott. I'm sure even in 89, it was something along the lines of, well, I'm never buying Maxwell House coffee again. All right. You know, right. I really like a cup of coffee. Well, what do we have? Do we have Folgers? No, because Maxwell House, I went grocery shopping last week. Like, ah, oh, well, I'll start to boycott next week. And then one week later, chock full of nuts. Oh no! That's right. I just boycott that on principle. I don't care what they sponsor. Right? (laughs) Those are my principles. And if you don't like it, I got others. And eventually, next week, you're like, "Well, do you want me to get Folgers next week? It's thirty five cents more a pound." No. And then, and and then the boycott ends. 
And ultimately, you know, the whatever company you've worked at gets a ton more of uh, advertising by virtue of all the news stories that come around it. Like, far be it for me to suggest that people throw away things that they've already paid money for as a demonstration yeah. of their anger. But, like, I find that, that stuff hilarious when people do that. Yeah, that's the thing, too. It's like with social media and Facebook, those kind of things happen a lot faster and then stop happening a lot faster. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, just, you know, very recently it was the Bud Light. Yes. You know, issue. And then not long before that, I remember people were throwing away their Gillette razors. And I was like, no, send them yep. over to me. Right. Oh, that's expensive. And then the the best one was with Nike when the, these guys were like, you know, setting their shoes on fire. These like $150 <laughs> sneakers are setting them on fire. Right. And Nike's just sitting there going, yeah, we already got your money. You're not hurting <laughs> right, us. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not sure what this is meant to accomplish. Like, aren't your feet going to be chilly? You certainly don't want to put those back on yeah. while, they're, while they're still on fire. But that's the sort of performative anger and performative sort of capital you know, capital withholding that ultimately makes me roll my eyes when it happens because boycotts don't generally do anything. It's the, you think boycotting, you know, Maxwell House coffee is like the bus boycott of the 1960s that was part of the civil rights movement. It's not the same thing. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, we brought down, <laughs> I think the culture got a little cocky when they ended the Vietnam War and they just think that they could do anything now. <laughs> yep. All right. Moving on to the 16th. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, May 16th of 1571, uh, your friend and mine, German astronomer Johannes Kepler, okay? He figures out that that day, May 16th, 1571, at exactly 4.37 a.m., that's by his mathematical calculations, because that's kind of his gimmick. That's what Kepler did. Uh, he figured out that that was the exact time of his conception. <laughs> I wonder if he presented that to his parents. Hey, Ma! <laughs> I got 4.37 a.m. Am I in the ballpark? Right, 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 yeah. I know we didn't have an alarm clock at that time because it's 1570 or 1571, but give me an idea of where the sun was. By the way, Ma... What were you guys doing up at 4.37 in the morning? <laughs> Couldn't sleep? Hmm? Yeah. A little exactly. insomnia? Huh? This is foreshadowing for this week's worst song ever, you know. <laughs> I, I like to think that he did this. I don't know that this is the case, but he did it in this order. And he's you can hear the like the quail scratching on the parchment as he's calculating how the universe rotates right and how the planets move around the sun. And he's doing all these calculations. And he goes, uh... All my math is complete. I have calculated how the universe works. For my next trick, I shall calculate the moment of my conception. Now, also, you got to just picture that whenever he landed on it, he must have got the mental image of his parents having sex, which, like, broke the land speed record between Eureka and ew, 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 no, no, no. <laughs> hey, how did you get all that ink on your, your, uh, your eyelids there, Johannes? I was trying to poke my eyes out after the imagery of my parents making me in 4.37 a.m. <laughs> yeah, that's a, you know, I mean, if you're going to do a math flex... That's the kind of math flex you want to do. I'm sure that if he was a kid when he did that, I he, he got out of disagree. Right? He got he got out of homework at that point. It smells like, you know what? No more math for you. 
Go, <laughs> go play piano. Go outside and play with some rocks. All right. Let's move on to the 17th. May 17th, 2004. Massachusetts, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, becomes the first U.S. state, technically a commonwealth, to legalize same-sex marriage, thus setting the trend for first most of New England and then slowly across much of the rest of the continent of the United States that legalizing same-sex marriage would become the law of the law or the ex- accepted practice across the whole of the United States. And set a world record for pearl clutching across the, uh, the southern United States. Yeah. And New Hampshire. Not oh, going to yeah. lie. Oh, yeah. We, we were, the, we were well, the holdouts. I mean, it's much different now. But years ago, they used to refer to Florida as the north of the south and New Hampshire as the south of the north. Oh, uh, yeah. Northern Alabama. That's what I call us. <laughs> Florida has definitely changed, but New Hampshire is still uh, the south of the north. Mm-hmm. Here's something interesting. And uh, I know the answer because we were talking about it before, but I'm going to bring it up like it's yep. something new. Um, how, when was this? What year was this? 2004. So almost 20 years ago. 19 years it's been legal, and I've yet to go to a same-sex wedding. You know what? I haven't been invited to any either. And I know many, many of a gay couple, and I know many of a gay couple that are married. I've never been to a same-sex wedding. We are not invited to those, Bill. And I don't know why, because we have always been very supportive. I'm putting this out there. Hey, friends that happen to be uh, uh, you know, LGBTQ+, plus or yeah. what have you, you're getting married? I want to go. We promise and, and not jump. to talk about yeah. history at your wedding, probably. Yeah, we won't be. I will not pitch the podcast at your wedding. I won't bring any uh, business cards. I promise. I will not wear I a shirt go. that says, I'm a twibbly threat underneath <laughs> my suit jacket. I promise. It would be super fun if we were there. You should invite us. You could download the invites at our Patreon. <laughs> Reach out to us on Instagram. No, seriously, I think it would be... I know the music would be awesome. I know mm. that much. Yes. You know, as someone who... who I have non-binary kids, so... Hey, man, whoever you fall in love with, you fall in love with. Whoever you marry, you, you want to marry. If you want to be saddled into a marriage and all the baggage that comes with that, you go wild. That, that's the extent of my of my politics with regard to this issue. <laughs> Here's the you extent know? of my politics when it comes to it. I have none. Right. <laughs> no, I literally, I have none. You know, be happy. Yep. I'll fight for your right to do it. And uh, and I hope you live a long, happy life and have a long, happy marriage. Yeah. I think the linguistic argument of it is hilarious whenever the people that are against it are like, well, just don't call it marriage then. It's like, what the hell do you care? Right. What's it going to do to you? Who gives yeah. a shit? All right. Hey, <laughs> this is the controversial episode of Twitly. <laughs> Moving For on. some reason, it is. May the 18th of 1504. Michelangelo's marble sculpture of David is placed in front of the Piazza della Signoria uh, after its completion. Now, it was originally commissioned for the Florence Cathedral, but after Michelangelo, after Mike uh, finished it, they realized that there was no way to get it up to the top of the cathedral where they wanted it. Because <laughs> yes. um, the thing weighs like six tons. Yes. I'm sure that when they realized, like, you want us to put this up there and they pointed at the top <laughs> of the cathedral and, and were like do you know how heavy this statue is it's wicked heavy and that was the end of <laughs> that was the end of that it just stayed where it was just leave it where yeah. it is the pigeons are gonna love it they're already roosting on the thing 
And it's been moved since then. Michelangelo was like, sorry, guys, I got a little ambitious on the size. <laughs> yeah. look, Oops. Look, I tried to get you to use wood or bronze, but you insisted on marble. And that's why you've got 12,000 pounds of naked David. You look, how, look at how realistic the nipples are, though. You can't, get the, you can't get that in bronze. You just can't. Almost 400 years later, in 1873, I guess the, the pulley had been invented by then. Uh, <laughs> it was moved to the uh, Academia Gallery in Florence, and then a replica was placed in the Piazza della Signoria in 1910. Mm. And there's also a replica over at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas that I have seen. Oh, okay. I so I don't remember seeing it. It's I, I think I walked through Caesar's Palace on my way to another casino when I was in uh, it's Las outside. Vegas. Oh, so I didn't even see it. I was on the inside of it. So yeah. um at some point I want to go and see it for real in all of its glory. I mean the thing's an astonishing work of art. And it is the sort of physical embodiment of the idea that, well, it's I just had to take I just had to free it. It was already in the marble. So any mm-hmm. any art that you do whether it's drawing or painting or writing or whatever, like the idea that the art's already there. You just have to chip away the stuff that you don't need anymore. And there it is. Right. And that was my negative space drawing. That was Michelangelo's approach to to David was he just got rid of all the marble that shouldn't have been there. And the statue was already in the marble. I think that's astonishing. Now, one of my favorite things to do is to admit when I'm a dumb, dumb, I almost said ding dong, but that's a poor turn of phrase for what we're going to be talking about. Indeed um, it is. So uh, the recent controversy with our friends down in Florida over the uh, the presentation of the a picture of Michelangelo's David, <laughs> uh, this is kind of embarrassing to say because I was brought up Catholic. I didn't know or realize or take into consideration that that David – is David the giant killer from the Bible? What did you think it was? Like David Cabral that we went to high school with? I thought it was like, I got Dave. Hey, what's up, David? Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was just some dude. I don't know. Like, I didn't know it was supposed to be. Hey, is I really did not know. <laughs> I'm sure Michelangelo like, oh, hey, I saw Michelangelo. What do you call it a statue anyway? Uh, David, I guess. It well, the whole thing is you figure after he get done, they're like, uh, so that's David the giant slayer? Uh, yes. Can't help but notice he's buck freaking naked uh, so and i also notice his complete lack of slingshot bill with one l is not going to get the reference in 500 years right uh, david all right i'm embarrassed all right let's move on hilarious may 19th 1962 marilyn monroe sings her famous rendition of happy birthday mr president to john f kennedy causing the spontaneous erection of everyone in kennedy's cabinet and anyone who happened to see that film within the year or so that it was made. Iconic. She also recited a poem, which she had written, rewritten from the song Thanks for the Memory, which was thanks, Mr. President, for all the things you've done, the battles that you've won, and the way you deal with U.S. Steel and our problems by the ton. We thank you so much. Terrible parody, by the way. Yeah. But but it was su- it was it was such a sultry and iconic performance by her at the time. I, she may have been the biggest star in the United States. I think by 62, she was commanding like giant money to be in films. Oh, for sure, yeah. And while she had a reputation of being complicated to work with, her films are still super duper entertaining. Mm-hmm. And she as rumors later were confirmed in like the 1980s or so she ended up in a relationship with president kennedy 
You are an outstanding citizen. And then, just as they'd finished filming The Misfits, she uh, had a, an accident with some pills, I guess, and her career and everything else was done. Fun fact about your friend of mine, Marilyn Monroe. One of her, if not her first movie, it's one of her very first movies. Uh, she wasn't even blonde at that point. She still had her darkish hair. Yeah, brownish hair. Uh, she was in the last movie that the Marx Brothers did together. Was she really? Yeah. I had no idea. It's called Love Happy. Yeah. Love Happy. Uh, at that point in the Marx Brothers' career, they weren't talking to each other. So all the scenes with Groucho has just Groucho and not the other two. Wow. I'll have to, I'll have to go back and watch that one. I... Oh boy, Jeff! More controversy. <laughs> that's 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 the theme today, Bill. Yeah, more controversy coming your way because on May twentieth of nineteen ninety two, Chicago bans the sale of spray paint. Uh, Chicago had a big graffiti problem in nineteen ninety two. Graffiti was a very popular art form at that time right. uh, everywhere, not just Chicago. Yes, and. The city referred to spray paint cans as weapons of terror, which is a bit much. That must that's, have, that's a bit much. That's a bit much. That must have sucked for all the arts and crafts people who were like, but I, I restore outdoor furniture. What am I supposed yeah. to do? Right? Or, hey, I touch up cars. Yeah. Where, where am I going to get my spray paint from? Johnny Bench is thinking, I still get the money from the endorsements, right? right? I huff paint. This is going to cut me right out of my... <laughs> <laughs> so that's a... A weird kind of thing because, like, Chicago had a graffiti problem. Like I said, it was a popular form of art. Mm -hmm. And Chicago has a lot of gangs and a lot of guns and a lot of gun problems. And I was just over in Chicago a little under a year ago. And, like, everywhere you go, there's big signs on the doors with, like, a picture of a gun with, a you know, the arrow with the line through it. Right. And there's always that kind of argument that, like, well, they ban guns in Chicago and they have gun problems, so there's no sense of banning guns. So there's that, like, weird kind of controversy of don't pass a law because people are just going to break the law. Right. It's like, I, well, in that case, then let, let's have the wild, wild west then. You know, why, why have laws in the first place? I'm sure the city council didn't think, like, well, there's no possible way they could ever paint anything now. As if right. no one has invented brushes and buckets and, and other paint. It's just more inconvenient to do it, but it can still be done. Or nobody has a friend with a car that could drive them over right. to Wisconsin, which right. is like right. really next door. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and get uh, and get spray paint there. Right. Where are you going with all those but paint kids? Doesn't matter. Yeah. 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 It's meant to cut it down. Uh, you know? To me it's 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 one of those like people don't understand that they don't see it the art portion of it and again i've seen enough graffiti that looks like ass on a stick that yep. you know i can certainly understand not wanting to see like some dude's initials all over stuff or something that doesn't look like it takes any skill to paint on stuff right because there's graffiti art and that's art with a capital a rt stuff that's yep. it's like murals and beautiful and and even though they mm -hmm. might be done clandestinely they're still gorgeous but there's oh a whole my god <laughs> clandestinely but there's what are you saying I, in secret but then there's other stuff which is what we generally see which is like the stuff that gets sprayed on the side of trucks and the stuff that gets sprayed on the side of trains and it's there but it's like a reactive sort of expression of like the the environment that we live in and it doesn't make it as anywhere near as pleasant as like looking at something that you can go oh, that's 
you know, it's a beautiful mural on the side of a building. And I can understand how the city council is like, we have to find a way to like cut this down. Cleaning this stuff up is costing us all kinds of money. We can't spend this kind of money. And we can't leave it all here. And the thing is, too, nobody just picks up a new medium and is excellent at it. you got to right. practice. Now, there was another fad, I guess, that went around at that time. Because when people would get done with their art, you know, they want credit for their art, so they would sign it. Mm-hmm. And they would have their, their tag at the end. And then there was this trend in the 90s, I don't know if you remember it, where they kind of like just cut out the middleman and didn't create art. They just wrote their signature everywhere called yes. tagging. Yeah, remember I remember that? that. Yes, I do. God, that was freaking annoying. That trend doesn't really exist anymore. I guess it does to an extent, but not as much as it did. But that was thankfully short-lived. And I also remember ta- they got even more lazier. It's like first they weren't doing any graffiti. They were just signing their name. Mm-hmm. And then they would just put their name on stickers and put stickers <laughs> someplace. It's like, just don't do it at all. I mean, you're right. almost there. Right. <laughs> almost there. You're right, right on your notebook. Um, here, here in New Hampshire, most of the time where you find graffiti and tagging, and some of it is really well it's really interesting the way the yep. lettering letters are shaped and the colors that get used in the gradients and stuff it's generally on the back of highway signs or uh-huh. underneath overpasses because there's so few buildings that are big enough to sort of put it on that aren't constantly being yep. patrolled by the police around here that's where you generally see it if you if you come to new hampshire and drive up 93 just watch your rearview mirror because you'll see it on the signs that you drive under. Whenever it was really popular in New Bedford, there was a place, there was a disused train station that was nicknamed Scum Hall. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of the local artists would go in and kind of like, you know, flex, flex their artistic uh, things. And I remember one of my friends, his parents, let him do graffiti in their cellar on the foundation bricks, provided mm. he wore you know, proper gas mask to do it. Right. A respirator. Oh, so, yeah. They, they let him tag. do his art downstairs, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you can always paint over it and then wait, wait yeah. for it to dry and then, you know, you got a blank canvas to exactly. work on. Yeah, I thought that was uh, an, an excellent solution says that way the kid, A, doesn't get in trouble mm-hmm. and B, you know, he gets to, you know, practice and does it safe. Excellent parenting. Yes. All right, let's wrap up the week. May 21st, 1908, the world's first horror film is released it's a version of dr jekyll and mr hyde oh i'm gonna guess it was probably made by edison studios since it seems to be about the time where edison studios was the only company that was making films that had a script or a a linear progression at that time and i think i own this it well you may own a one that came out a little bit later 1912 because the 1908 version there are no known copies of it to exist Oh, okay. Yeah, I have the one with John Barrymore. So right. that was 1912? Yeah, 1912. Only four years okay, later. Yeah it's, a, but... yeah, it's a silent film. Oh, wow. The, the very first horror film and there's no known copies of it? Yeah. It came out at the time that the, the strange tale of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was still relatively contemporary. That's a great Robert Louis Stevenson novel. Right. Yeah, they used to do it as plays, too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really terrible. I mean... I mean, for me, being such a horror movie aficionado, that the very first horror movie, there's no known copies of it. That's that's so sad. But I guess, you know, in 1908, there wasn't a lot of foresight about home video and Blu-rays and stuff. You know? Right. There's always the chance that there's a some film canister in somebody's collection or in some other country because these things got copied and shipped all over the place, even in 1908. 
that there's a copy of it out there somewhere. Every now and then something gets unearthed like Edison's Frankenstein, which was a lost mm-hmm. film until, I don't know, 2008? Oh, really? Or something, yeah. 2008 that or 2010. That, that recently? Yeah, wow, and, it was, that. and it turned out it was there was a copy of that that was owned by one guy, and he started to release VHS tapes, but it had a watermark that he put in it across the front. And then that somebody found another copy of that guy died and they released the rights to it, but it was lost for you. I have, I still have textbooks from the 1990s that talk about it as that, a great lost film and it, it, it oh, just wow. isn't lost anymore. So you never know. Well, maybe in our lifetime, that'd be, that'd be really something to see, you know, just, I'm, I'm sure it's not, you know, Citizen Kane, but right. being the very first, it would be something to, uh. See, and it's only 16 minutes long. It's not going to take up a bunch of your time. Right. All right. Let's get on to the celebrity birthdays. May the 15th, 1948, the lead singer, Brian Eno, he was the oh, lead yeah. singer of the band Roxy Music, was a, uh, a very influential British pop band. I know a lot of British bands that cite Roxy Music as a major influence. I do, too. And then... As we were talking before the show, you named like three or four Roxy Music songs, and my answer to all of those was like, I have no idea what song that is, Bill, because huh. they never made it to the radio that I was listening to when they were contemporary, and then mm-hmm. and it isn't something I went back looking for. That weird like late nineteen seventies, early 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 pre MTV almost nineteen eighties of British pop and what yep. would become like the new wave. I I don't have a, the exposure to it. Never did. So. My memory with Brian Eno in particular, I remember he was in Roxy Music, but by the time Live Aid happened, Roxy Music no longer existed. Right. But Brian Eno was out there doing a couple of songs. We were, wa- you know, we're watching Live Aid, and Judas Priest was slated to go on either next or you know, in a couple bands later. Right. And I was over my friend Mark's house. Let me name drop for a second here. My friend Mark that you and I went to high school with, mm-hmm. he's now the lead singer for Metal Church. He got himself a really good gig. Oh. So at any rate, we're sitting over there at Mark's house and we're watching Live Aid and Brian Eno is singing his cover of Jealous Guy from John Lennon. Yep. And Mark is screaming at the TV Telling the guy to get off the stage because he wanted to see Judas Priest. <laughs> That's my weird memory about Brian Eno. Uh, but my favorite Roxy Music song is called Love is the Drug. And that's foreshadowing, kids. Who's mm. next? Our next birthday is May 16, 1919. A man named Vladislu Valentino, better known by his stage name. Stage name is a very important phrase here. Liberace who is a piano player and sort of pop music singer, but he was like a lounge show person who was amazingly popular in the 1950s and 1960s. He had record albums, TV shows. He was in movies. He did a long time stint in Las Vegas, and he did all kinds of tours where he played songs and bantered with the audience and was really funny and really, really charismatic. Yeah. Yeah, I remember him still being around and on TV growing up in the 70s. Yeah. He had a a long footprint. I remember them making fun of him on like Looney Tunes. Right. Porky Pig was like playing the piano or something and him like squinting at the camera saying, I wish my brother George was here. Right. Which was, you know, something that Liberace would say. Yes. He guest starred on a ton of, of like variety shows and stuff. He always 
played himself. He never like played a, a character or anything when he was in mm-hmm. other stuff. He was always himself. And I, well, he's a character unto himself. Well, yes, but I mean, he was never like written in as like Liberace as like Bob Jones. It was never anything like that. Um, right? Yeah. I have a memory of him being on the Muppet Show, but I could be just inventing that now because of. The I want to say period. he was on Bewitched. I. And Liberace was basically an openly gay man in a time in this country where being an openly gay man was not something that wasn't even a word. I don't think he was openly gay until the 1980s. I think he was. I don't think he was quiet about it either. It was kind of like a. Yeah, I think he was ambiguous when he was asked. He was always. I mean, as I understand it, his the majority of his like big fan base was from the Midwest, who really thought he just loved his mother, and that's the phrase I always yeah. heard applied to him in, in th- at that time period, where mm-hmm. you know he's a sort of flamboyant entertainer. If you go, oh, this guy's a you know he's a flamboyant entertainer. That's just the way they are. And all right, so moving on to the 17th, another keyboard player yeah. who was also flamboyant to in, a, in his own right. True. Uh, born in 1965, May 17th, Trent Reznor. Ah. I would say the lead singer and principal songwriter for Nine Inch Nails, but he in fact is Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails is a one person project. Yeah, it's a one man band, technically. I remember yep. when Pretty Hate Machine came out, and it was a humongous alternative record at the time. That was when I was at the yeah. radio station. I, th- I think it might have been just before I started at the radio station. And the, You know the, what, though? It took a long time for that thing to get legs because yep. that album actually came out in like 88 or yep. 89. But it really didn't get legs in the alternative scene until like 90 or 91. Yeah. It was when techno started to get a place on college radio that that record started mm-hmm. to really pick up steam because it was techno, yeah. but it wasn't dance music. Right. It's you industrial. Know? It right. was industrial. It had, that had to start to hit first. And he was, at the time, like I guess in 91, I think Spin Magazine named him like the godfather of industrial music because Pretty Hate Machine was the first of that music to get on MTV, the first of that music to get on MTV in regular rotation, the first of that music to get on MTV in regular rotation that other bands started to copy. All of these things were firsts for him. Right. I'm quite sure the guys from Front 242 were a little upset by that. Uh, <laughs> I am getting that kind of credit. Yeah. I, I th- if I remember, like, I used to love Spin Magazine and, and, and collected it. So I'm pretty sure that the next month they got a bunch of really angry letters from, like, Me Beat Manifesto and Front 242 and some other bands. We were like, what do you mean, the God? We've been doing this for years. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they weren't on MTV until he was. Yep. He opened the door so they could come in. And uh, my interest in Nine Inch Nails started with Pretty Hate Machine, and I kind of jumped off after Downward Spiral. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it still surprises me that they have other albums. And when I first got Spotify, my friend Sandra, who's a big Nine Inch Nails fan, says, you have to listen to With Teeth. I was like, okay. So I listened to With Teeth, and With Teeth is excellent. Yeah. With Teeth is an excellent album. And also, uh, one more thing about Trent Reznor, he will forever be remembered as just coming out completely covered in mud for Woodstock 94. (laughs) Yeah. Let's go on to the 18th. May 18th, 1931, cartoonist Don Martin, who you may not know unless you were an avid reader of Mad Magazine. There was a period when Don Martin's cartoons stood out amongst Mad Magazine's other artists because they were so stylized and relatively yes. simple. He always had funny one or two panel comics, aside from longer comics that were more complicated in Mad Magazine, but he's primarily known for sort of slogan type comics, so one page with one image, 
with one caption that were hilariously funny to a yoo and jelly sandwich addled nine-year-old's brain like mine. The thing that I remember about John Martin cartoons is he always spelled out like sound effects. Yep. So it would say like sploink or crunch or, or sp- all that split, stuff. Splitch, I think, was one that I remember. <laughs> yeah. like And, and it was and for was sounds a- that didn't exist in nature, but you could certainly make them exist with the way that he spelled them out. Onomatopoeias. Yes. Yes. I remember there was a big controversy where, because he was known for Mad Magazine, and he actually, do you remember this? He actually jump shipped over to Cracked, Cracked Magazine yeah. for a couple of years. Cracked Magazine was a magazine, kids. Was it just Cracked.com? That started out as a comedy monthly. That was in the vein of Mad Magazine. They had their own character like Alfred E. Newman. I forget. It was yeah, a janitor. Was Sylvester, I think. Sylvester yeah. the janitor. And there was another magazine briefly called Crazy with Obnoxio the Clown that was a Marvel Comics product, and that didn't last a super long time. But I remember yeah, reading those. Funny either. I yeah. remember, buying, I remember <laughs> yeah. trying to buy it. Yeah, of them all, Mad was the funniest. They definitely had the best writers and the best artists at the time working in there. I got to meet a couple of them at a Boston Comic Con, but Don Martin wasn't one of them, oh. unfortunately. Never forget this. You know, for every storm cloud, there's a silver lining, right? So we have the 1950s comic book senate hearings about juvenile delinquency and the comics code and all this stuff about horror comics and everything all of those guys mm-hmm. they went to mad they became mad magazine and that's why it was a magazine because they didn't have to subscribe to, to the, the comic comics code. code yep and that's why mad magazine was so great all right so moving on may the 19th 1948 a woman who is simultaneously absolutely stunningly beautiful and absolutely terrifying at the same time <laughs> grace jones she also does a killer police cover Demolition Man. Yes. Yeah, Grace Jones does quite a bit. She has several albums. She was a model, and she also made several movies. Yeah, by far the best character in the sequel to Conan the the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer. She She took that movie every time she was on that movie that she ran away with it. She owns that film. She's very striking looking. And uh, one of her albums called Island Life, she does a number of covers on there. Right. But one of the ones that she does on there is a cover of Roxy Music's Love is the Drug. (laughs) And honestly, dude, put those two side by side. I love her version so much more. I think her cover of Love is a Drug is brilliant. Well, of course, you don't know the original. I don't so. know the original, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, not even sure I, yeah. I'm not even sure I know that version, so I'll have to no. take your word for it. Yep, next up. May 20th, 1908, American actor, and uh, we'll discuss his other career in a moment, Jimmy Stewart, James Stewart. Best known for films like... Probably best known. Probably best known for films like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, and also It's a Wonderful Life, directed by Frank Capra. Which we discussed before that neither one of us have seen that movie. It's probably been two years since we talked about it. So have you seen it? No, I haven't watched that yet. I still haven't seen it either. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) I I did watch the the documentary about all the Hollywood filmmakers who who were hired to go and film parts of World War II. And Capra, who went out to the Pacific Island and shot these insane, like, hand-cranked films of Japanese attacks on islands. And he was part of the island hopping campaign and stuff. And then came back and made it's a wonderful life. Was we talked about his relationship with Jimmy Stewart too. Jimmy Stewart, during World War II, flew twenty-four bomber missions or twenty-eight bomber missions in a, a liberated B twenty-four over Europe, and dropped bombs on Germany and made it back. Came back. He was a, an active duty fighting bomber pilot captain. 
Oh my God. Yeah. That line in the movie, every time a bell ran, uh, rings, an angel gets his wings. It must have sounded like the carol of the bells over there. <laughs> yeah, in heaven, it sounds like the inside of the AT&T central, you know, ring depository uh, on, <laughs> on Mother's Day. The because... beginning of time by Pink Floyd. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The first film that he made when he came back from World War II was It's a Wonderful Life with Capra, who was also fresh back from his time working for the U.S. government in the Pacific Theater. So even though I haven't seen the film, I know that it is often described as a rumination on post-traumatic stress disorder from the war for both of them. So I'll have to, at some point, I'll have to watch that to see if that plays through. I was just about to make a, a joke, but there's like truth to the joke, is I wonder if Jimmy Stewart's trademark stammer is PTSD. <laughs> right. It very, uh, well, it very well could be. It yeah. very well could be, yeah. Maybe. All right, and then wrapping up the birthdays, May the 21st, 1973, British comedian Noel Fielding. Oh. Yeah. People are probably going to know him from the IT crowd. He's the goth that lives in the server room. Richmond. <laughs> Richmond, yep. Yeah, Richmond. Yeah, I know him best because he was on a show called The Mighty Boosh. Mm-hmm. He played Vince Noir. I love that show. I don't even remember who turned me on to it, but I used to watch that show all the time. He's also like, he's been on the Great British Breaking Show for like something like five or six seasons or something now. He's been all over British TV yeah. for years and years and years since Mighty Boosh and the IT crowd. He's also done some other like traveling man shows with Richard Iodade from the IT crowd too. All of his stuff is funny. He's an odd guy. He's an odd dude to watch on TV. Yeah, I've watched him do stand-up, and his stand-up is very... It's like, I don't want to compare him to Andy Kaufman, because it's not that kind of humor. Right. But it is the kind of humor where, like, it's so untraditional. Right. Traditions are, are fine and all, but some things that are traditional lead to... The worst song ever. So, Jeff, I was in my backyard uh, today, and I was doing a little fishing. I had this big barrel full of fish. I was just in there with a gun, just shooting away. Having your way with them, bullet style. Yeah. So, today's worst song ever is, as I alluded to, is basically shooting fish in a barrel. This song has made many, many a list as the one of the worst songs ever. Mm-hmm. Started out this morning feeling so polite I always thought a fish could not be caught It didn't fight But you got some beta waiting And I think I might like Never in a little afternoon delight Skyrockets in flight Afternoon delight Gentlemen, boys and girls, the Starland Vocal Band with their hit single, Afternoon Delight. A song that absolutely defines, I want to say it was like 1976. 76 that song yep. came out, Bill? Yep. A song that defines the sound of 1976. I remember hearing that song approximately four trillion times on AM and FM radio when I was a little kid. Yeah, it was everywhere. It was ubiquitous. Ubiquitous. Good word, Bill. Thanks. I learned it from my co-host, Jeff. <laughs> the Walking Thesaurus. Yeah. Like I do, I went back today and I listened to the first Starland Vocal Band album. Mm -hmm. They have a whole album? And I, 
they had about five albums. Two oh of them goodness. are on Spotify, and then the other you could play them as a soundtrack to Jekyll and Hyde, I guess. <laughs> uh, once again, a very interesting story with our friends, the Starland Vocal Band. Now it's obvious everybody talks about it that the song "Afternoon Delight" is about. I know a way to do this, like we were on at the time, the newlywed game, Bill. It's about making whoopee. Yes. Oh, right. That was around. <laughs> that was earlier on. I think that was like 73. Yeah. So it's about making whoopee in the middle of the afternoon. Right. Not like Copernicus parents is there at like, you know, four o'clock in the freaking morning. Right. Maniacs. So at any rate, everybody knows that that's what the song is about, which in 1976 is pretty randy. You know, 1976, not a lot of people had cable television. So that kind of a song is uh, like, <gasps> really? Is that what they're singing about? I wonder if people put that together in 76. I mean, this is the You Light Up My Life as a hit song generation, <laughs> Bill. I don't know. Yeah. I think they probably snuck that one by and people were like, it's a song about like having a great afternoon. I love it. There's fireworks. It must be the 4th of July, the bicentennial yeah. of the United States of America. Unfortunately, like this, the third song, like the third single that they had out, which was called Midday Blob, didn't have the same <laughs> sort of high quality euphemism to hang on. It didn't chart at all. Here's, uh, once again, our friend Starland Vocal Band. I love doing this sort of thing because I learned so much about this, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I never thought growing up I would ever learn about Starland Vocal Band. I'm, yep. I'm even surprised I know the name of the damn band. Right. So it was made up by two couples. There was Bill Denoff and Taffy was Denoff, and she's, they've since split up. Um, they were a singer-songwriter duo. And they had, like, another band that was called, like, Fat City or something like that. Right. And then they, that wasn't working, and they did just changed it after that to their names, you know, Bill and Taffy, mm -hmm. which, hold on, side note, Taffy is an awesome name. I love that name. It's especially good if you live near the ocean. Yeah, I think that's why I like it, because I live in New England. There must be. So, at any rate, they were playing some, like, gig, and they had a song called I, I Guess He'd Rather Be in Colorado, and John Denver was in the crowd and like went up to him afterwards and was like, hey, let's uh, let's work together. So these people that everybody makes fun of, I mean, Starland Vocal Band and Afternoon Delight is always a punchline in a movie or I remember them making fun of it in PCU. Right. They made fun of it on The Simpsons. Remember Homer Got the Tattoo? Yes. I oh, Starland Vocal Band sucks. <laughs> it's one of the funnier scenes in the first season of Arrested Development when uh, Michael Bluth and maybe his niece are singing it to each other at a company party. Yeah, yeah. Not knowing what the song is about. And right, realizing right. what the song is about halfway through the karaoke, that's <laughs> gold right there. So... Here's something that I did not know that I think is really interesting. Your friend and mine, Bill Denoff of Starland Vocal Band, him, Taffy, and John Denver, the three of them together, wrote Take Me Home Country Roads. Yeah. They wrote that song. Yeah, These Afternoon tune. Delight people wrote one of the greatest country songs ever. That is a good tune, and it goes to show you that sometimes you can do one great thing. Yeah. And that's uh, it. It's actually the official state song of West Virginia, right? Mm -hmm. Which is curious because your friend and mine there, Bill Denoff, he was born in Springfield, Massachusetts, and the original lyric was Massachusetts because it's um, it's got the same four-syllable yep. cadence as West Virginia. And 
seriously, with Massachusetts, nobody thinks of country roads in Massachusetts. Certainly not near Springfield. Well, that's the thing. People that know anything about Massachusetts don't know anything west of, like, Worcester. Right. <laughs> there is a lot of country roads out there. It, it there looks there like, are uh, indeed, yes. It looks like the English countryside out there. It does, yeah. So um, they write this song, this afternoon delight song, and they record it with, uh, they, they got two of their friends involved, uh, John Carroll and Margaret Chapman. Mm-hmm. So there was this afternoon delight. It was recorded by two couples, you know. Right. Uh, right. At one time, all four of them were married to one another. Pick your duality. They've all since divorced. It must have been tough to be John Denver to be the fifth wheel in that cart of yeah. four married. <laughs> well, shucks. I guess I'll go sing other songs, and then he goes off and he tries to horn his way in with Abba, but he wasn't getting anywhere there either. Because same problem. <laughs> they record this afternoon delight. It was a enormous hit. It got several Grammys. They actually got the Grammy for Best New Artist that year. Want to take a stab in the dark on who they beat out? Oh, God, no. I'll give you a hint. They're also from Massachusetts. Aerosmith? Boston. Oh, Boston. All right. Boston well. was the... Yeah, they beat out Boston for Best New Act. Yeah. Wow. Man. So, yeah, imagine that. Imagine putting Afternoon Delight up against More Than a Feeling. Holy Christ. After Afternoon Delight, they actually put out, like I said, like four more albums, but all of them flopped, including their Christmas album. And they ended up breaking up in 1981. I'm going to guess that not only because they obviously weren't very good, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that what... They weren't selling any that, records, well, I think, more than anything else. Well, the thing, MTV was a factor, too. Right. You know? And you got to remember, 1976 to 1981, a lot of musical change was going on around yes. then. That's when punk rock came up. It was kind of the death of arena rock. Disco was huge. Disco was huge. Like, can you imagine, in the heat of disco, you're going to get two choices. You're going to listen to either Afternoon Delight or Let It Whip. You know, right. where are you going to go? Yeah. I'm going to go with Let It Whip, for sure. I think television was different, too. I mean, I remember them being on variety shows that featured musical guests. but They had not... their own variety show. <laughs> in, yeah. insane, in an insane case. But it wasn't like they were on American Bandstand, which was still on in 76, and they, they weren't on like Soul Train, which was still on in 76, or... Mm-hmm. Like Don Kirshner's rock concerts, they were. It was outside of like the music part of popular music. It was way more in the popular part of popular music. That mm-hmm. was way closer tied to like Sonny and Cher, the Osmond Brothers, the or the Osmond Family. Even to some extent at that time, the Jackson Five, where it was image and kind of music too, that made them really popular and that didn't translate yeah. into the music part that would carry them onto successive hits on the radio. People get tired of looking at so, the same four people, you know? Yeah. I was listening to the album today, and the vocals, the harmonies are stunning. They're beautiful. Mm-hmm. They're beautiful harmonies. I will give credit where the credit's due. The, the harmonies are beautiful. But Starland Vocal Band is something to listen to. They are not something to look at. The funniest thing I've ever heard say said about them was uh, your friend of mine there, Todd in the Shadows, yep. said, you look at these people. The song is about having sex. They look like they don't even know what sex is. <laughs> Very true. They're as sexy as up with people. Yeah. <laughs> they have all the erotic power of up with people. Yep. To watch them perform, they were a band that should have just stuck with the songwriting. 
they were not meant to be out in front of a crowd. They could have taken some charisma lessons from Liberace because they got zilch. They have zero stage presence. Right. All right. But before we wrap up the show, young Jeff, I do have the very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Very yes. simple, very easy. So true or false, Jeff, and I'm be- kind of burying the lead here. But That's fine. True or false, there are no American flags flying at Walt Disney World. Oh, man, I'm going f- to flip a coin because I don't know here. So you ready? Here. Heads. I didn't pick a heads. Heads is your answer. I didn't pick true or false for heads. I forgot. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, yeah, true. Why not? Who knows? There are no American flags flying at Walt Disney World. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, hey, wait a minute. Uh, well, I've never been there. So I've never been to a Disney park. I couldn't tell you what well, had. What was it? I, if, if I saw Mickey Mouse, I'd be like, that guy's after my wallet. Well, here's the thing. There are many similar to American flags flying up around Disney World. As soon as you walk into the place, right at the top of the flagpole, there is apparently an American flag flying there, but okay. it is not an American flag. It is missing one stripe and at least one star. Oh. It just looks like an American flag from a distance, and the reason why they do this... They're buying them at Dollar General. <laughs> they got them off wish.com. No, the reason why they do this is so they don't have to abide by the like the rules and regulations of the American flag. So whenever there's, you know, some sort of tragedy or death oh, or whatever yeah. and the flags are ordered at half mass, right. Disney World does not have to lower their flags. Right. Now, all the American flags that are flying in Disney World are missing a star or stripe. Now I'm quite sure there's an American flag like hanging like up on a wall on the Hall of Presidents and stuff like that, but it's not on a flagpole. All the American flags on flagpoles at Disney World are wish.com. Not quite American flags. They're American yep. with two N's flags. <laughs> American-esque. Yeah, it's, it's American with an E at the beginning. American. It's, it's American like the way I pronounce it by accident. American. All right. <laughs> so that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in seven days. Say right. good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. A special shout-out to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you for listening to Twibbly, or this week was way better than last year. You can find us or message us over on Facebook or Instagram or the hot new social media app that I just made up called SPAC Group. That's group with two O's and two P's. by looking for Twibbly. Subscribe to the podcast. That way you can guess where and how many times Bill had to edit out the phrase, well, there you go, from Jeff's audio track before publication.